Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. What I'd like to do today, I sort of helped you along with giving you some of my notes. anymore. I do have some more. Today is the, as we heard, is day seven of the Omer count to Pentecost. It's also the 26th day of the first month. I was uh, speaking with uh, Pastor Watson yesterday who sends his regards. He's looking forward to making time to come visit us. Those of you here on, on the first day, remember Pastor, Pastor Watson. He was happy to hear of, of how our congregation is growing. <clears throat> Last week, Brother Adrian did a Bible study on the book of Philippians. And in addition to the roadmap that was sort of created to give us guidelines based, every single line actually, based on Scripture as to what kind of congregation we are trying to be. And more importantly, what kind of congregation does God want us to be? More than just what we want to be, what kind of congregation does God want us to be? And how can we know? How can we know what kind of congregation God wants us to be? We just heard uh, the sermonette transition us from the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Feast of Pentecost and the birth of the New Testament church which we are a part of. There's a Greek word in, obviously, the New Testament, the Greek word in the New Testament. When you study the word another, there are four, sorry, seven different words, seven different Greek words translated into the English word another. But there is a specific one. It is the Greek word alalon. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, likely not. It is Greek word 240. That's number 240. It's spelled A-L-L-E-L-O-N. I've written it there at the top. And it has a special meaning. And its specific meaning is mutual interaction, reciprocation, and therefore is used in the English language in conjunction with the words one another. You could use the word another as in another item or another person or uh, another anything. But this is one another. This specific word, alalon, is specifically a mutual thing. And obviously using the word mutual indicates that there's two parts to be able to be mutual with. So as we continue to develop here as a church family, and as we specifically look at working towards the Feast of Pentecost and piggybacking on the study series on the Philippian church, what I'd like to do today is to review God's expectations for his people in interacting with one another and how he expects as we grow together and as we grow individually to be the kind of people God wants us to be, to put on the mind of Christ as we heard, to grow in his, after his likeness, after God's likeness, and after his character. I would like to do so by doing an in-depth study into this Greek word one that is translated one another. And there are approximately 32. I was in and out as I was typing that list. I might have the, word, I might have the number 32 miscounted, so if I, I did, I'll stand corrected. But there's approximately 32 of them, along with a set of three different words that's translated into the word, the English word judge, that I'd like to look at today. Part of the purpose why I noted them here is rather than have you furiously writing stuff down, you can make add whatever notes that you take, you can add to this list. I simply did not enter any of my, when I provided this piece of paper here, it's none of my thoughts are on there. It's simply the scripture, the Greek word, and the meaning from Strong's Concordance. So I'd like to go through these examples today, and then we're going to tie it all together in at the end to come to some sort of understanding. And again, as to make this exercise easier, I prepared this handout to go along with your note-taking. What we're going to do is we're going to go through the, the, the 
words. We're going to go through them in order as they appear in the canon for no other reason than to make things simple, simpler. When, if you choose to do some study on your own, you can follow that down through your Strong's Concordance on your own. There's no, um, there's no indication of anything being more important than another word or any other reason than simply to follow the, uh, the order that they appear in the canon. And when we do go through these, you'll see that there are some that are noted in the, the italic font, which is the, the slanted font. Those are negative words. So we're going to make some concepts as we go there. The, the normal words, the normal uh, font of words is a positive verb. The others are negative verbs. And we're going to, there's, a, there's a reason why I've made that slight distinction there. So when we have a look at those, it will become evident as we go through them. So let's go to John chapter 13. There's going to be some flipping through our Bibles rather quickly, but not so quickly as to, hopefully, not, as, not too quickly to be confusing. And we're simply going to, because there's 32 of them, we're going to make a systematic way to get through this, and then we'll draw this together at the end to make some comments. The first one, as was read in the scripture reading, is John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment, that's John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And again, when you see those words, one another, that is this Greek word, alone. And this Greek word, and what we're going to focus on, is the verbs that precede it. What one another. What are we to mutually do one, to one another? And here this word is the Greek word agape. Agape. For those of you who are familiar with it, those of you who might not be, there are three Greek words for love. Agape, which and this here is the godly form of love. The love that makes God who God is. The, the word love, and it's the, when we do this study of this word one another, it appears the most times for obvious reasons. Uh, God is love. Um, it is what defines God. It's, uh, as we talked about in the study about, with the young people about how the word covenant can be this churchy word that gets overused and misunderstood. Love can also be one of these words that gets overused in a religious environment and really is what defines God's character. And that's a, we can't get into too much detail with each of these words, but that's something for another, another sermon or another study. But this Greek word agape is this, the, the love that just makes God who he is and, and makes him who he is. Romans chapter 12 is the next one. And again, this is a different format of a sermon, running through these. Romans chapter 10, or sorry, Romans chapter 12. Here is another of the Greek words translated into the English word love. Romans chapter 12. Let's pick it up in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, and distributing to the needs of the saints and giving to hospitality. But that brotherly love is the Greek word Philadelphia, and it is a different type of love, much of what the love that David and Jonathan had, for instance, for one another, where, whereby, and we read a couple of sermons ago about Christ saying, you know, my mother and my, and my, my family, where are they? And they said, you know what, these are my mother and my family. It's the type of brotherly love that bonds two people together. And here to the church in Rome, Paul is, in addition to trying to develop this agape love, this love that defines who God is, down on a human level, it's important that we love each other as brothers, that we see each other from a brotherly perspective. And here, Paul is saying that very thing here, being kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Dropping down to verse 16, well, we'll just continue verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind to one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble, and do not be wise in your own opinion. 
Be of the same mind. So we're to love each other the way God loves us. We're to learn to love each other the way God loves us. We're to love each other as brothers. Here, we're to be of the same mind, have the same goal. We might not see things all the same way, because family members, uh, I don't know of any family member who absolutely uh, sees everything the exact same way. But we have the same goals. Families have the same goal. Happiness, where the family intends to, uh, short-term goals, long-term goals, to be of the same mind, to have the same rules govern you, to have the same same uh, characteristics govern the household. Be of the same mind one to another. Romans chapter 14. And again, we'll be sliding through these somewhat quickly. Romans chapter 14. Verse 19. Let's go back to verse 14. I know, and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. I started there because as families, sometimes we see things a little differently. It doesn't mean we believe in a different God. It doesn't mean we don't believe in the same things. But in our growth process, we're at a different stage of understanding. Verse 19 says, Therefore, let us pursue things which make for peace and things which may, one may edify one another. So amongst all that makes us different, as, we draw people, as God brings people together from different walks of life, from different experiences, from different experiences in the church environment, whether it be long-time members of the Church of God movement, as, as Brother Adrian said, Adriano said in his opening prayer, new people, uh, long-time members, young people, older people. What God expects in the interaction of all of those, of all of those people is to pursue, pursue things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. And that Greek word for edify, as it says there, is to build up, or to promote growth, to build up one another, promote growth, and it is used in many other places. It says pother there. I don't know why it says pother, but I didn't spell check that. And it's this this Greek word edify is another one of these words that is used several in several places in the New Testament. Sliding along to chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore. Receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And he continues there to quote Old Testament scripture. But he says, receive one another. And sometimes when you just take the English words, they they don't take on the exact meaning that the writer of the scripture has here. And this Greek word for receive means to admit to friendship or to hospitality. So God's people, as we receive new people, or as we, as we meet each other and develop friendships, we're to admit into our presence, or to, to admit into friendship, to admit into hospitality. We sometimes, um, in the hustle and bustle of this world, and we get stressed that, we sometimes like to put a bubble around us. But he has God's people. He expects us to admit people into our presence. To admit them into this type of friendship. Dropping down to verse 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. Now I've got that in italics. Because there's a slightly negative tone to that verb. But even what I'd like to point out there, even when there is a negative, there's expectations from God on how we deal with each other in a negative manner. And here, this Greek word for admonish is to reprove gently. To reprove gently. Sometimes, as family members, we need to 
correct one another. Offer constructive criticism is probably a better, a better uh, word for that. Here, Paul specifically uses a Greek word that includes the word gently. Because as part of the edification process that we read about building each other up, there are sometimes opportunities where constructive criticism is needed. I've said some things from the pulpit that might not necessarily be correct. That's why we have, for instance, the speaker's corner. When we have that, those sorts of opportunities, we reprove gently because we are trying to edify one another and build up the family. And even when we see these slightly negative verbs, there's a positiveness that God uses in his choice of words. Romans chapter 16. Even something simple like this salutation at the end of Romans. Greet one another or salute in the King James. Salute one another with a holy kiss. This word salute means to embrace or receive joyfully or greet. There's, as a functioning family, trying to become more like God, there's part of, part of God's character he wants to uh, imbibe into us. And one of those characteristics is, is joy. So when we see each other, it's not just, hey, how you doing? How was your week? There's a, I'm, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to see you. I missed you last week. Are you okay? Here, greet each other or salute each other with a holy kiss to embrace, to receive joyfully. That brings us to an end of what Paul wrote to the Romans. Let's flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 33. And this is talking about an evening we just went through with the Lord's Supper. And I know it is specifically referencing the Lord's Supper, but it's an interesting use of a, of a, of a Greek verb here. Chapter 11, verse 33. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. The King James uses the word tarry. The Greek word has a connotation of to look out for one another. Much like when we come to a certain, not necessarily just the, the Lord's Supper service, but when we come to services here, part of what the family is, is I recognize who's missing. I'm looking out for them. We know that Brother Larry's not here today. So next week, if he <coughs> happens to be here next week, Brother Larry, we missed you. Last week, we remember that Rosalia wasn't with us. She was feeling a little, uh, little ill. She's here today. Because God's people tarry for one another. They look out for one another. They're waiting. We wait at the door to, as we start services for God's people to walk through. Because we're family. Chapter 12, verse 25. Let's go back to verse 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on these, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that members should have the same care one for another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. When one of us suffers, we all suffer. The poet John Donne, you'll recall, wrote, No man is an island entire and of itself. And if a clod of Europe falls off, I am the less. Europe is the less. Much like as if a one member of mankind dies, I am the less, because I am a part of mankind. When one of us suffers, where God expects his church to get to, is to the point where when a member suffers, we suffer. And here, it's this, this word, the same care. It's not just the word care, but it's the use of the word same. Because the word same is the Greek word auto. And when combined with the word care, 
to, and the word care to take thought of or be troubled with care for or to look out, the use of the word same indicates as you would yourself. Look out for others, care for others as you would yourself. Have the same care for one another. Chapter 16, verse 20, we can, it is the same word as uh, salute, but chapter 16, verse 20, greet one another with a holy kiss. Again, the same comments made as we made at the end of Romans, to embrace, to receive joyfully, or to greet with, with, with open arms, that, that, sort of, that sort of a passion. Galatians chapter 5, proceeding along. Galatians chapter 5. For you, brethren, verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Again, that word love is the very first word we talked about, agape, which is that essence of God that defines who he is but to serve one another, to submit to, to be a slave to, to yield to one another. When there's an opportunity in the, the, the Church of God International ministerial program, we have this phrase that is the first among equals. And that has less focus on the word first and more upon the, the word equals. There are some things that I'm not as proficient in prophecy as some others are. So I'm not going to get up here and give a a prophecy sermon when someone else who's more proficient in prophecy, who has studied more prophecy, I'm in my young ministry haven't uh, come to to the depths of my study of prophecy as much as others. So I would feel uncomfortable presenting a thorough exposition of prophecy when Vance Stinson would be in the audience. That doesn't mean him and I are, are any less in God's eyes but I would submit to his, his knowledge of something like prophecy. There, that's an example of, of submitting to or being a slave to. And we all have an opportunity to, to submit to one another, to be first among equals. We're all equal in God's eyes, but we all have different gifts. And we allow people, to, God expects us to use our gifts the way he wants it and not strive for someone else's gift. And that's what makes the whole family unit work together, as we'll see when we come to Ephesians chapter 4. Galatians 5, dropping down to verse 15. We'll just continue reading verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Coming from Leviticus 19. But, verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. And young people, there it goes back to what we talked about with the if-then statements that God provides throughout Scripture. Here's another if-then statement, and it's in the form of a, a negatively connotated word for this word, one another. If you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And to bite means to wound the soul. It's more than just tossing insults back and forth. It's to, to, to have such an impact on the soul that Inside we feel wounded. In, inside we feel like a, a knife stab, stabbed into us. That someone said something to us, positive or, or accidentally or on purpose, that we feel wounded. That our soul inside is wounded. That's that Greek word for bite. And to devour is self-explanatory. To consume or to wound. Continuing along. We come to the fruit of the Holy Spirit in verse 22. The aspects of God's character, some of the aspects of God's character, as listed in this listing of what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, Paul says, there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So again, the two verbs, to provoke and to envy, to incite or to be jealous of. And notice 
in these last two examples, both italicized there to differentiate them, God is very clear that we are not to do those things. So there are some, char- some, some characteristics that we are not to take on, specifically because they don't belong in the body of Christ. Going forward to Ephesians chapter 4, which is an excellent, excellent chapter and part of a book on the family of God and a congregational, congregational setting. There's an interesting word used in the start of the chapter 4. Verse 1, I therefore, Ephesians 4 verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, beg you, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another. That Greek word means to put up with one another. Because as God's family, sometimes we're a little irritating. Sometimes I can be a little irritating to my family. (laughs) Don't be so quick to agree, young man. (laughs) But he loves me enough to put up with me. Because we, we know that what comes out on the other side is that we're all striving to put on the mind of Christ. So as we together try to walk that walk and get to that kingdom and become like Christ, we're going to step on each other's toes once in a while. But as brothers and sisters in the faith, we are commanded and admonished to just put up with each other once in a while. Sometimes it's not as bad as we make it out to be. And here, to forbear, it just means to just put up with it. I'm, I, I'm, so, I'm sorry for sometimes who I am. I appreciate you putting up with me. Dropping down to verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And as is noted in the explanation there, we are part of the same body. It goes without, it, it, well, no, it doesn't go without saying, because God included it here in his scripture. It seems like it should go without saying that we are members of the same body. But as human beings, we need to be reminded of it once in a while. And here God notes it in his scripture, that we are members of one another, that we are part of the same body. That, and the same body can only go one place, and that's in the same direction. <laughs> And we all as as and we don't have time to go through Ephesians four, but part of that is the fact that we all perform different functions, have different gifts, but we are part of the same body with the same goal in mind. And this combining these two, well, let's let's read the third one in, in verse thirty-two. Continuing on, let's we'll read from verse twenty-six. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let that let sun go down on your wrath. Verse twenty-seven. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that I may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, which you were sealed by for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, and with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So be kind and forgive are two other ones that are mentioned here at the end of Ephesians chapter 4. Obviously the word kind in Greek has connotations of being useful, being useful to one another. And to be gracious and be good to one another. And obviously forgiving, taking, taking its, uh, its instructions from the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 where we are to forgive so that God can then forgive us. It's Again, it's a mutual two-way street in that regard. But we see here that part of what we read here is that, you know what, we're not always going to see eye to eye on, on some things. I'm going to be a little irritating, I'm sure. We're all going to step on toes once in a while. As God's people, the way we function and, and advance is we put up with one another. And why? Because, verse 25, we realize that we're members of the same body being kind and headed in the same direction. And, and when we do it God's way, that can usually get us over the hump and continuing on the same road. Chapter 5, verse 21. 
before, verse 21 takes place before verses 22 through 33, where we see the instructions that wives are to submit to their husbands in the same way that the church submits to Christ, and husbands are to love wives in the same way that Christ loves the church. But before he breaks that down, his instructions in, in verse, uh, let's pick it up in verse 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always to, for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. As we say here, submitting obviously means to be in subjection to or to yield to one's advice. You know what? Sometimes someone else has a better idea than me. So for the sake of unity in the church, or for the sake of growth of the church, you know, let's try it your way today. Let's try it your way today. But there's the corollary there to do it in the fear of God, to do it God's way with respect for for his way of life. So if someone were to come in here and say, let's try meeting every week on Sunday, that's not the purpose of this submitting to one another in the fear of God, because that doesn't qualify for the in the fear of God portion of that statement. Colossians chapter 3. And again, some of these seem obvious, but if they were so obvious, God wouldn't need to write them down and remind us of them time and time again. Colossians chapter nine, or Colossians chapter three. Let's pick it up in verse eight. But now you yourselves, Colossians three verse eight, are to put off all of these things: anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, and do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put off the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So the word lie here in the middle of all these other things that we're supposed to put out, remember that Satan the devil is the father of all lies. So when we lie, when we become liars, which is taking on this characteristic of lying as part of our character, we become like Satan the father of lies. And here, simply here, do not lie to one another. Why? Because as the relationship is that we develop, part of what holds relationships together is trust. And when we lie, when we, for whatever reason, no matter how big or small, and it's interesting how the human capacity is to, to sort of characterize lies, big lies, little lies, white lies, bend the truth is another word, where now we've got the word Truth, which really is a, a description of a lie. We need to build trust with one another. And part of the way to do that is simply not to lie to one another. Because relationships is what God's way of life is all about. Relationships with our Father, His Son Jesus Christ, and with one another. First Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Pick up the pace here just a little bit. Verse 11, now may, God and, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. So we've read time and again already twice, and if, we go, if you go through the book of 1 John, you will see love one another countless times. But here the expectation is to abound in love. Abound in agape. And this word abound, as I've noted there, is to be in excess of. It's not enough just to have enough love to get by. It's not enough to, much like the, the, the similar mindset to the parable of the talents, where he had, you know what, I'm just going to keep it. I'm, I'm satisfied with this one little talent. I'm going to bury it here so I don't lose it. And God says it's not enough just to have enough. Here he wants us to be overflowing with love, to have enough to be full of love and then have enough that is flowing over so that we, that is the only way to give it to others. It's when it's enough to, to flow, be overflowing in love, to be in excess, to have enough and some to spare. 
verse chapter 4, verse 18. Now, as we go to verse 18, it's important to realize to see the context here of Christ's second coming. We'll pick it up in verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And uh, Brother Adrian talked about that as part of the, the lead up to Pentecost these first fruits. Verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And then he proceeds to say, what words am I talking about? There's a lot of tough times coming here before we get to the second coming of Christ. But they're to be of comfort to us. And this word comfort is more than just a pat on the back and, you know, it's okay. Here the Greek word means to beseech or to pray for or to exhort. So to to encourage, to continue on, to pray for one another, to to help one another stay on the right path. Because you know what? There's some things coming down the road here as we read in chapter 5 that are going to be less than pleasant. But because we know what's at the other side, it's easy to comfort one another with these words that we can get through this together. And that's part of why God's people come together is to see each other through. And here the use of the word comfort one another is in place. Uh, Titus chapter 3. Moving along. Titus chapter 3. Again, it would stand to reason that this goes without saying, but we have 6,000 years of proof that it doesn't go without saying. Verse 3, for we ourselves, Titus chapter 3, verse 3, we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hating and hateful and hating one another. And again, this is a, a context of not to hate one another. And this word hate is here, as I write, as I note here, is used in the negative light regarding all of this previous uh, unacceptable behavior. So as part of our growth process, it's important to avoid unacceptable behavior for which hate, hating one another is a, a, a concept that kind of holds all of those other behaviors together. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll read verses 24 and 25 because it's used more than once in those two verses. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Exactly what we read Back in 1 Thessalonians, we see this exact same word and the same reasons used here. It said, we'll start with the first one of verse 24, to consider one another. And that Greek word, as I note there, means to perceive, understand, or observe. So it's not just to, it's, it really means to pay attention. To really pay attention to your brothers and sisters. To understand them. To, to see when they need a hand up. To see when they need to be exhorted. To, to care enough about one another to pay attention. To pay attention to how, how we are. Am I having a bad day? Am I having a, a less than stellar spiritual day? Am I overflowing with love today? To, to, so to comfort is more than just a, a nice pat on the back. It's really to understand and to pay attention. And then dropping out of verse 25 as we read, exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. And this word exhort is the same Again, this funny way that this English language has of translating the Greek. It's the same word in 1 Thessalonians 4 that was used to translate the word comfort. And that is this word parakalio. And again, as it was back in 1 Thessalonians, it means to beseech, to pray, or exhort. So uh, really an encouraging encouraging way of, of helping one another 
through these times. So much more, it says, as you see the day approaching. So as these things start to help come to pass, to exhort one another, to, to be there in a positive, positive way, to encourage one another unto good works. James, let's go to James chapter 4, as we approach the end of this part, the majority of the sermon. James chapter 4. Again, some of these need little comment. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Verse James 4, verse 11. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? So again, not to speak evil of one another. Part of what binds us together is the blood of Christ. And much like a, a sports team or a, uh, a members of the same army, you know what? We need to see each other in that light. So that if we hear someone else say something about each other, we don't put up with that. Because, you know, that's my brother. And whether he meant it or not, or whether, you know, he doesn't deserve that kind of talk. And here, not only are we not to speak evil of one another, it really goes beyond that into protecting one another. Part of this is really to protect, be part of the protection of your family and let no one speak evil of each other and have the courage to stand up and say, that's not right. Don't, don't, we don't allow that here as part of God's people. We stick up for one another. We might have to forbear one another, but we stick up for one another. James chapter 5 and verse 9 tells us, do not grumble against one another. Do not grumble against one another. This word grumble or in the, the uh, King James, it's grudge, not. And the Greek word there means to murmur, moan, or sigh. So to outwardly, to the opposite of what, the, almost the opposite of forbearing. And that's, oh, there he goes again. There he goes again. And again, all of, we can see all of these characteristics sort of coming together as, as, as a clear expectation of what, of what God wants for us. Verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Praying for one another. God, the family that prays together, as they say, stays together. And as I'm sure in your, your home life, the, the, it, is, it is hard to be upset with anybody when you're on your knees together or coming before God's throne together, it's hard to be mad at anybody or be upset with anyone when you're, when you're in the midst of praying with one another and for each other. First Peter chapter 1. We see this word agape used again, but it's with a bit of an additional sentence here. First Peter 1 verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So not just love one another, this agape kind of love, but to do so fervently with that joy that we read about that is overflowing within you, but with a pure heart. Be blameless. Be innocent. Be guiltless. Have that same blood that washed you clean washes your brother or sister clean. We're to love one another with that pure heart. The pure heart that recognizing that we are both guiltless before Christ. Chapter 4, verse 9. Again, some of these are need little comment, but it is good to be reminded of and to note the use of this word one another, this mutualness with these verbs. First Peter 4, verse 9. Let's go back to verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. That same, again, these are, some of these concepts are repeated, and we, we haven't read the repetitions. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And obviously the word hospitality having to do with, with welcoming them into your presence, uh, uh, whether we, uh, part of looking after one another, taking care of one another, and to do so with a pure heart, without grudging, without the need for uh, recompense. We see verse 5, 
We'll read uh, chapter 5, verse 5. We've already talked about submit to one another, but there's an interesting, another aspect to it here. Likewise, you, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. So the same godly concept of, of being sub, uh, subservient or submissive to one who has a gift in an area, perhaps, that's, that's where you don't have a gift. We, sub- we submit to one another. To the last one here, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. Now again, it's not the only use of the word one another in 1 John because he time and again uses the agape, love one another. But here, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Let's go back to verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. And this fellowship, this Greek word for fellowship means to have discourse, communication, and joint participation. And again, bringing to, bringing to mind that this is a joint thing. This is, we are of the same body as, as we read earlier. And we do have time here to take a few minutes to look at another word. And it's the word judge. It was, we've got another about 10 minutes here, so we'll just continue here. And I wasn't sure if we were going to have time or not. I would have put this off for another message, another perhaps sermonette. But we have time here to run through this one. But it, bears, it takes a bit of time here to go through, through this word judge. We read where we can judge, where we shouldn't judge. The Bible tells us we should judge. The Bible also says don't judge. And it's this use of this English word judge that sometimes gets confusing. And we tend, as human beings, we tend to pull out whichever one is more convenient at the time. If you're on the receiving end, the Bible says not to judge. If you're on the giving end, the Bible says to judge and I should judge you. The confusion is caused by the fact that three Greek words are translated into the English word judge. Now, I didn't uh, write this down, unfortunately. The first one, and it is the, the uh, root of the other two words, is the word krino, K-R-I-N-O. It is the Greek word 2919. And it means to properly decide, to try, condemn, or punish. To properly decide, to try, condemn, or punish. It is used most often. 114 times in the New Testament. The Greek word anakrino, anakrino, is the Greek word 350. It's used 16 times. And it means to examine or discern. So we got the one that is to properly decide, almost like with a finality, to try, condemn, or punish. Anakrino means to examine or discern. And diakrino, used 19 times, Greek 12.52 means to separate, to learn, or to be at variance with oneself. So there's, we can see here, now that we've got these three different words, to properly decide, try, condemn, or punish with some sort of finality, <coughs> to examine or discern, or to separate, to learn, and be at variance with oneself. Romans chapter 14. We'll look at an example of the word crino that's used most often Romans 14 and it's used in the Bible by those in authority in the legal system so those in authority in a legal system have the right according to God to crino to have some sort of final decision final decision, a condemnation of sorts or to elicit punishment. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. And it's not just a verb that's given to God, but it is also used at various times, Pilate and Herod, when they pronounce their final, final pronouncement. A judge is allowed to do that. Kings and governments... When you read the New Testament scripture and it's used in a positive light, it is used by those in authority. In regard to church interaction, 
we don't have the authority from God to use this type of judgment. We don't have it. And God says so. Verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. God has given Christ ultimate authority to be crino. And here, this type of, this English word judge, we simply don't have the authority to pronounce final judgment on someone's motives or uh, someone's place in the body of Christ or anything or anything from that perspective. Now, that's not to say we're not to judge each other. We'll get to that in a second. We're not to crino one another. We're not to crino one another. That specifically belongs to the authority of God, and he has given that authority to Jesus Christ to have that power. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. Now again, we don't have time to go and do a complete, uh, thorough analysis of this word judge, but we're just going to use a couple of examples here to, to note each of these three different meanings. So when we go back to Matthew chapter 7, and from the mouth of Christ himself, who was given, as we just read, this power to Crino. Matthew chapter 7. This is where Christ can tell us, judge not that you be not judged. Don't you Crino, lest you make me Crino you is what he's trying to say. For what judgment you judge, you will be judged. We don't have the authority or the wisdom to judge in this life, at this stage. Now, there will come a time where we will crino angels. There will come a time when we are God beings, and we will have that wisdom. But in this life, we don't have the wisdom or the knowledge or the authority to judge. And that it's that imperfect knowledge that God will then turn around on us and say, if you're going to judge others with that crino, that's how I'm going to crino you. If we don't do that, we will have his, we will let him crino us his way. Otherwise, we will force him here to crino us our way. In regard to church interaction, we do not have this authority from God to use this type of final judgment over someone else. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Here's an example of, and again, this is not a complete diatribe of the word judge, but this is the anacrino, which means to examine or discern. Verse 13, 1 Corinthians 2. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For he who has known the mind of God, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So again, tying in this, how do we have the mind of Christ, that we heard about last week, is this word judge, and here we're expected to judge, but here the word is Anacrino. And as we develop God's, as God puts his spirit into us and develops his character in us, he gives us the power to discern. And he gives us the expectation to discern. And comparing spiritual things with spiritual. When you hear something from a pulpit or you read something from a magazine or you read something from, from an outside source other than scripture, you have the expectation to anacrino, to discern is this right? Do I need to follow? Should I be following this? Because we are to compare spiritual things with spiritual, with what God gives us. But he who is spiritual judges all things. When we are in the when we are have our mind on God's way and are trying to become more like God, we will use this this anacrino, this discernment or examination to see if what is being told to us or what I'm expected to put into my life is in fact true. And that is when we need to anacrino. We anacrino 
thinks. We anacrino, we here we anacrino, uh, lessons or, 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 or expectations of, of, that are put before us in a spiritual sense. Crino is a final judgment upon people in most cases, some final uh, proper decision. Here, anacrino is a discernment that is, is given to God's people through the use of his Holy Spirit. Those who have God's Holy Spirit have the power to discern. The last one is diacrino. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it means to separate, to learn, or to be at variance with oneself. And often it is used to examine one's own behavior in accordance with God's law. So there's crinoing others, which is the privilege of someone in authority. There's anacrino, which is discerning what I'm hearing. And there's diacrino, which is examining one's own behavior, often used to examine one's own behavior in accordance with God's law. Much, and here it's appropriate that we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is in part talking about the Lord's Supper in that time of year where we examine ourselves. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned by the Lord. And there is a, an interuse of the two different words. Here we see the word judge used twice. What really what it says is, if we would diacrino ourselves, we would not be crinoed. If we properly assess ourselves, God doesn't need to crino us. He doesn't need to pass judgment upon our character because we have properly assessed our own character in light of his word. And God doesn't need to judge us in that negative light. Finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 a clear example of this discernment aspect where we let two or three prophets, verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let others judge. It's, it's, it's important that we judge what comes to the pulpit. It's important that not just from here, but for whatever you hear God's, God's servants tell you. And it is, it, is, it is key that you do that. Do not, do not just hear and not look it up. Do not just hear what you, what you think you heard and not back it up with scripture. So that's a lot of one another's that we've gone through. Turn with me, if you would, as we conclude to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Tying this all back in to what we're in the middle of studying right now, which is the book of Philippians. Because as we leave the days of love and bread and transition, as we started today, to the Feast of Pentecost, last week during the Bible study, a question was asked in the, the open session, as to how we put on the mind of Christ. How do we put on the mind of Christ? This is one way. It's not a, a complete encapsulation, but the study of the use of the, the verbs that go along with one another is one way to learn how to put on the mind of Christ. Because as we, you, and we see here, let this mind, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and came in the likeness of men. And again, I won't get ahead of, of Brother Adrian, who will cover that next week, but this putting on the mind of Christ, as we, we look at the various things that we did look at, look at their tone. It is completely positive how we are expected to, to interact with one another. And when there are negative aspects, there's a corollary. There is to, to reprove gently. There comes a time where we need to help one another along in the, in, in the faith, where we need to be of service when someone might be stumbling. But it is not greeno. It is not a final judgment cast. It is a discernment. It is to reprove gently, to be of help, to build up, to edify. We go through all these words and just... Without looking down at your paper, I will just read verbatim what we've got here. We've got to love, to brotherly love, to be of the same mind, to edify, to receive, to admonish, to salute, to tarry, to have the same care for, to greet each other with a holy kiss, to serve, not to bite, 
not to devour, not to provoke, not to envy, to forbear, to be members with one another, to be kind, submitting in the fear of God, to abound in love, to comfort, not to hate, to consider, to exhort, to speak no evil of, not to grudge, to pray for, to love with a pure heart, to be hospitable without grudging, to submit, and to have fellowship with. If we can get half of those done, if we can do half of that, we will have come very close to putting on the mind of Christ. This podcast was brought to you by the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out more, visit us on the web at cgiburlington.org.